Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I discuss how cowboy clinicians taught me that grit and refinement go hand in hand. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi everyone, I'm Lynn Reardon, the host of the podcast and head coach at Horsewise. Today I'd like to share with you one of the most interesting and significant lessons I ever learned while I was riding in clinics, specifically from a category of clinician that for lack of a better term, I'm gonna call, quote, old school cowboy clinician. And by that, I mean men who have been teaching in the tradition of Tom Dorrance and Ray Hunt who learned directly from either or both of those gentlemen or from somebody who was very close to them. So we're talking about a group of cowboy teachers who are probably in their 50s, 60s or older. Some of them are still actively teaching on the road. Others are teaching privately. Others are retired, unfortunately, and and a few significant ones have passed away. So this is, as I said, a very specific group that I'm talking about. And I think they were probably uh, the only group in my experience so far with teachers who could have taught this or demonstrated this in such a compelling way. Now, in case you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you don't know anything about me, I just want to reiterate that I came from a suburban background. I did not grow up on a ranch or showing jumpers or anything like that. I was the only one in my family for generations. I mean, nobody knows anybody in my family going back to like great, great, great grandparents who was interested in horses. I was this strange anomaly that just sort of appeared. And I didn't learn to ride for real until I was an adult. Obviously, it took over at some point. I went from having a really normal office job and good paying kind of salary position to running a racehorse adoption ranch and then eventually opening Horsewise as a horsemanship coaching business as well. So that's just to give you guys a little background in case you think that I came from this, you know, again, kind of rodeo background or super rugged. And so you might be wondering, well, how did I, from that odd background, get involved or drawn into being taught by people like this? It's not something you would think is automatic given my background. But that all came about because uh, many years ago, I saw a DVD of Ray Hunt. And it was actually, the original footage had been on VHS. That's how old it was. I think it had been filmed maybe in the 80s or very early 90s. And it eventually had been you know, converted to a DVD format. So I watched this. It was called Turning Loose. And I, I don't know if it's available anymore. It's an amazing kind of old school mini documentary showing Ray working with horses, colts, people, troubled horses, the whole bit. Really interesting. And when I saw that, when I saw how he was working with those horses, I didn't understand it. But I knew it was the only way to work with horses. And that sounds kind of pompous or whatever, and I don't mean it to be, but that's just how it was for me. I saw that and I'm like, I don't know what that is, but that's it. That's the right thing. That's what I want to understand better. That's what I would like to aspire to, would be to have that kind of understanding of horses, that feel for horses, and the ability also to be so competent and confident. It was just uh, very inspiring to watch that. 
So the first clinic I ever rode in was with Ray Hunt. I was very fortunate to be able to do that. He was much older then. And I think he died just a few years after that. Hopefully not because of the clinic that I was riding in. I had hosted that clinic and it was it was a bit of a it was a bit of an entertaining process in many ways. But kind of getting back to the main point, after that I also rode with some other teachers from that tradition who had either learned from Ray or Tom or both. And so I got to see quite a bit of how they worked with horses, how they handled people, and also how they handled cattle, depending on the teacher and the type of clinic, which is pretty, pretty interesting and also uh, very unique in some ways, my experience. So getting back to the original topic of this podcast, which is how these particular teachers demonstrated this concept of grit and refinement, how connected they are, how they often blend together, and how that was so significant to me. So I think the best way to really explain this or make my, my points more clear is to share with you some, some stories, some things that I observed at these clinics. In one example, I was working with a horse at a clinic. I was restarting the horse. I had known the horse a few years earlier, and he was returned basically to the program I was running at the time. And I hadn't seen the horse in, I think it was two years. And I thought, well, I'll restart him at this clinic. You know, there was a colt starting clinic. I do not start colts. I've only started two colts my whole life. And one of them, I didn't know that he'd never been started till I swung a leg over. So that gives you an idea. This is not my forte or specialty at all. But uh, restarting a horse can be really interesting. You will be riding in a clinic where some people are starting unbroken colts and others are restarting horses that have maybe not been ridden in a while or maybe have some behavioral quirks. And so they kind of need a do-over, so to speak. They need to kind of go back completely to square one. And a colt starting clinic can be really good for that. So that was the case with this horse here. And I remember when I I walked into the arena with this horse, again, I had literally had not seen him in years. I just sort of picked up the halter rope uh, from the person who brought him to the clinic and walked into the arena. And I remember looking at him going, something just doesn't quite seem right. Like he was outwardly calm. He wasn't displaying any kind of nervous, irritable, or aggressive behavior. But I kind of kind of cocked my head to the side. And I'm like, what am I picking up on here? Am I just being neurotic? Well, sure enough, as soon as I started working with him on the ground in the class, he promptly kicked the flag out of my hand, which was, for me, pretty impressive. I'd never had a horse do that. And that was kind of the, uh, really the best part of the day at that point. <laughs> he, he really was pretty, pretty committed to this idea of, you know, maybe bolting, trying to run over me, kicking out, biting, striking, whatever seemed appropriate. And I was kind of there in the corner of the arena trying to be real like, hey, this is perfectly fine. I'm handling it well. But the bottom line is it was, it was pretty, it was pretty intense. And, uh, the clinician, he was looking at me. He wasn't being particularly, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? He wasn't trying to embarrass me or make me feel self-conscious, but he was definitely keeping an eye on the situation. So we kind of got through that first day. And then the second day I brought him in and he was just as bad, maybe even worse. Like he was 
very serious about wanting to kick me. And I was very serious about not getting kicked. I was like, this is not working for me. I don't want to be kicked. So it was really more of this, rather than two groundwork, this very uh, awkward dance between the horse and I where he was wanting to be pretty aggressive and I was wanting to be pretty defensive and not, not get in a situation where I could get hurt. So finally, the uh, clinician rides over and he's like, let me take that horse. And he takes the horse into the round pen and he's on his, his saddle horse, you know. So he's going to work the horse from horseback. And uh, the reason that he did that was because the horse was genuinely difficult to work on the ground. I'm sure that the teacher could have done a much, much better job than I did. But the horse was pretty committed. He was pretty committed to pushing the limits and to wanting to be aggressive. Like that was something that was, was pretty clear. It wasn't personal, but it was pretty clear. So working the horse from another horse, from a saddle horse, particularly with a clinician like this doing the handling is a much more effective way to help a horse like that. So uh, the clinician's working with this horse off his horse and, um, I don't know if any of you have seen that before. It's pretty interesting. It's, it's super uh, cool to watch. And so basically he's got that horse kind of, you know, close to him, right? He's riding his horse. He's got the halter and lead rope on the horse that I had brought. And he has that horse kind of close to him. And at one point, there's this sort of quiet moment or seemingly quiet moment. And nothing seems to be happening. And the horse that I had brought, he he kind of looked at the clinician and the clinician probably bumped him and he bumped him emphatically. Now, by bump him, what I mean is that the clinician bumped him with his fist in the jaw. Now, he didn't beat the horse up. He wasn't slapping at the horse. He wasn't trying to hurt the horse. He wasn't being aggressive with the horse. It was this very deft, very emphatic movement. That was over in like two seconds, less than a second, actually. And, you know, some of the people who were watching were kind of like, <gasps> you know, they kind of gasped. And uh, the clinician was concentrating on the horse, but he kind of said over his shoulder, don't you guys think that I'm being mean to that horse? That horse was about to, was about to do something really aggressive. And then he focused on the task at hand, which was working with that horse. Now, that bump was so fast, so deft if you had blinked twice, you would have missed it. But the horse really found it significant. The horse didn't flinch. The horse didn't get upset or scared. If anything, the horse seemed to almost get more thoughtful. And you could see that he saw the clinician in a different light. And within probably five, six, seven seconds of that little encounter, that horse began to soften up. And by that, I mean not become submissive or not become cowed in any way. But he began to be able to listen a little bit more to what this clinician was trying to offer him. And he began to work a little bit more with his hindquarters and, and following that clinician's direction. I'm not going to tell you that it was smooth and perfect, but there was a little bit of a mental change in that horse that happened right away. And it wasn't fear-based. I was watching this pretty intently, right? Because I wanted to learn everything. And I also had been confused by this horse. Like I wasn't sure what was going on when I was working with him on the ground. So I was like laser focused on what was going on there. And I saw this pretty
pretty clearly. A little later on, the teacher went into a little more detail as to what he was doing and why. Not a ton, but just some people were asking questions. It was definitely an interesting moment to observe. And what the teacher said was that horse was really about to do something. His mind had already settled on doing something aggressive. It hadn't yet come through in his body, but he could feel that. This, this is a teacher who'd worked with, I mean, I mean, you can't even imagine how many horses these guys work with, probably thousands of horses. And uh, from, from the time of being a very, I think a teenager, really, all the way up to his current age at the time, which I believe was in his 50s. So this was somebody who had worked with horses that were from every background, troubled, wild, kind, spoiled, you name it, unbroken, the whole thing. And so when he said that, it, it carried a lot of weight. And he did not say it or talk about the incident like a macho kind of a thing or like I showed that horse or showed him who was boss. He was like, very matter of fact, that horse had shifted his mind. He had made his mind up. He was about to follow through with an action that was going to be very aggressive. He was going to really go for probably biting the clinician or his horse. And what he did with that quick bump timed perfectly at that moment was he essentially said, that thought is not going to get you anywhere good. That thought is being blocked. And it's almost as if the horse thought he'd bumped himself, like he was starting to think about turning his head to bite. And he felt the bump from the teacher. And it was as if he had bumped himself. So that was just very interesting to observe. Since I was the person who was going to be responsible for riding that horse after the clinic, and in fact, rode him very briefly during the clinic as well, I was very struck by the fact that that moment was a real turning point for that horse. It didn't come out in really obvious ways until the third day of the clinic, but that horse really found it significant that the teacher had read him so well, had had made the appropriate response without in any way expressing fear or aggression toward the horse. It was, it was pretty fascinating. That's where that blend of grit comes in, really being able to work with a horse that, you know, at the time was pretty determined, was thinking it really needed to, to be aggressive, mostly out of insecurity, right? But that doesn't matter if the horse bites or kicks you. You don't go, well, it was from a motive that wasn't hostile, but I'm still, you know, I'm still hurt. So you have to kind of set those boundaries, right? And um, so he was able to very deftly, is the word that comes to mind for me, at the, with the perfect timing and with a minimum amount of bump, completely redirect that horse's mind and get him back on point, so to speak. So it was very subtle in its way. It wasn't that he went and whapped the horse or, again, sort of punched him in the nose or anything. It was this very deft, very specific thing. But that also was quite gritty. Um, someone has to really come from that background of having worked with horses that are very difficult, where they can be dangerous. And this horse in that moment was dangerous and yet still respond to them with that degree of really, in some ways, delicacy. Now, I know many people might be listening to this and you might be feeling upset or think that, oh, 
she's defending someone who hit a horse that's awful. And, you know, it just wasn't like that. And I understand that not everyone maybe has the opportunity to see some of the things that I've seen with these teachers and to also maybe have my perspective on it. Again, no one came from a softer and more kind of kind-hearted background than I did. I, I, I mean, I literally only did pony rides when I was a kid. I mean, I, I'm not like a ranch person or anything like that. I don't have a rugged background. But it was so clear. It was so clear what that had done for the horse. And it was also so clear that there was no hostility on the part of the teacher that they just really understood how to apply that combination of grit and refinement. And you know, it made all the difference to that horse. It was the first step in a journey at that clinic that ended with that horse ultimately becoming a really nice riding horse and eventually finding a, a really good home as a trail riding mount. So that would not have happened without that teacher understanding this perfect balance. I could have never figured that out on my own at all. I'd also like to reiterate that this teacher liked that horse. It wasn't personal. He didn't think it was personal that the horse was sort of having those aggressive tendencies and, and would have bitten him if he had permitted it. But he also didn't hold it against the horse either. He didn't, he didn't think of him any differently than the horse he was riding, his personal horse. It was just something that he kind of needed to do to help that horse. Just like a different horse, he might have had to soothe that horse or calm a horse down a different way. So that was also interesting to me, that kind of calmness, that, that de emotional detachment, that kindness that was coming from being very clear, very calm, very objective. And I filed that away. I'm like, boy, I'm glad I'll never probably have to utilize that particular technique, but it was really cool to see that. And I'm really glad it helped that horse again, because I could have never helped that horse that way. Troubled horses are not my specialty at all. That's not what I do. I've come to understand a fair amount about them over the years, but the people who work with those horses and really, really help them, help them make a change in, in the right way, those people are specialists and they are also incredible horsemen and horsewomen. They're people that I admire very much because it, it is not an easy thing to do. And it can be very dangerous to work with horses like that. Again, the horses don't mean it personal, but you still have to be very aware of the dangers that can happen when a very troubled horse gets scared or defensive or both. And I thought to myself, I could never do that. I would never have that understanding, that timing to be so deft, to be so quick, and to also be so compassionate and careful and also be so skilled should things go the other way. Uh, there was no anxiety on the part of the clinician. He was calm and steady and, you know, ready to deal with whatever came up in that horse without in any way being uh, frustrated or upset. So I was like, wow, that's so impressive, right? Well, flash forward uh, several years and uh, through a series of coincidences that I won't go into here, I am in a round pen working with a horse who is extremely troubled, uh, who'd come from a situation of what I would say was, you know, intense abuse combined with neglect. And uh, he, he was very, he'd come very thin to our facility. He also, you know, had been through some trauma related to a natural disaster, and then had had quite a bit of abuse for several years before then. And this was a horse that had come out of the box, so to speak, as a baby, 
He was a dominant horse. He was a proud horse. So that was a pretty volatile combination. And all of it was kind of unfolding over time before my eyes. He was such a good horse in so many ways, uh, incredibly sensitive and intelligent, but also, as I said, very, very troubled. And I was working with him in the round pen. I was up on top of the fence and I was um, working with him, halter lead rope. He was on the inside of the round pen. I was up on the fence working him. And I was up on the fence doing that, sitting up there because he was a horse that could sometimes strike or rear and it felt like a safer place to be and also a more supportive place to be for the horse. Again, this is not my forte. It's not like I'm, you know, out there saying that I master troubled horses, but this horse through a series of coincidences had come to be at my facility and I felt responsible for doing the best that I could with him. And I was working with a mentor long distance to see if I could, you know, again, kind of up my skill level, so to speak. So I was working with him. He was having a really kind of tough, tough day. And um, all these emotions were kind of flitting across this horse's face. He, he didn't want to hurt anybody. He certainly didn't want to hurt me. I think, you know, he, to the extent he could, he trusted me. But uh, these, these past experiences were something that were, were essentially dominating his responses and he was not himself he was not fully mentally present so to speak and uh, so I'm working with him I've got a flag and I'm asking him to yield his hindquarters and just trying to do things basic things that to help him relax but also to maybe um, kind of diffuse what felt like a quite a lot of attention was building up and so at one point he did not want to yield his hindquarters he was kind of stuck and um and I was kind of contemplating how much pressure to put on with the flag. And so, you know, again, I'm, I'm sitting up on top of a round pen fence, if you guys can picture that. I've got the lead rope in one hand, the flag in the other. And, um, and his head's pretty close to me, you know. And, uh, and he's sort of paused for that moment. He's not moving. I'm asking him to move his hindquarters. And I kind of sense this change. And I look over, and there's this, this look in his eye. His eyes gone kind of what I call opaque, like he's no longer really looking at me. And I see something changing in, in his neck, his upper neck and his jaw. It's not like he's moved yet. And do you know what I did? I took that flag and I, I bumped him. I bumped him right on the nose there. And, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. But I did that because he was about to bite me. He was about to do something. I could see the thought in his expression and I could sense his body tightening. Now it was pretty quick. It was super fast really. So it's not like I can sit down and tell you, well, I saw this muscle tense and I saw this change, but he basically was starting to shift his pull a little bit, shift his jaw to get into position. And uh, it was very, very tiny, but somewhere on a subconscious basis, I saw that and I quickly, kind of flicked that flag. I was like, that's not happening. And, ah, oh, he was like, I can't believe you saw that. Like you could tell that it just blew his mind, so to speak, that I, th that I had timed it there. Now I'm going to tell you right now also that my timing was not perfect and my execution was not nearly as deft as that teachers had been, but you know, it was the right thing to do at that moment. And, uh, and I felt that I felt in that very brief, brief second or two, that blend of what it must be like just for a second or two 
to have to deal with those situations all the time, that blend of, you know, again, being very gritty and being very deft, being very delicate, being very refined, not to overdo it, not to set the horse off into, you know, kind of a fight or whatever, but to just say, that's not happening. That's, that's not acceptable. We can't have you thinking that thought. Your body's just about to follow through on that thought. And, uh, and I give all credit to that teacher because I never would have, again, thought of that on my own. That's, that's just not my default mode. Um, again, most people who've worked with me or see me in person or see me in videos, you know that the macho thing is not exactly something that I embody. Um, and I know some people, this is going to be hard again to hear. It's like, wow, Lynn and Horsewise, she went around hitting horses, but it wasn't like that. It was a really, um, it was a really big moment for me because I knew as it happened that it was the right thing to do. It was the thing to, first of all, keep me safe, but also the only way to help that horse in that moment was to redirect those thoughts super fast. And there wasn't time to kind of go through a verbal presentation to the horse. He was, he was about to do something dangerous. Um, and it's not, again, like I said, something that I do regularly work with troubled horses, but it was so clear. This horse was so, as I said, intelligent and sensitive, and I've gotten to know him, which I think was a factor. And, um, so I bring all of this up because it's not the kind of, uh, feel good story maybe that people say, oh, I went to this clinician or I went to this kind of clinic and I learned how to mind meld with my horse and I'm going, hey, I went to this clinic and I saw this cl clinician bump this horse just at the perfect time and it changed everything. And then I went home and, and, and you know, whacked a horse with the flag on the nose. But it really was something that probably was one of the better moments that I've had in working with the horse because I kept both of us safe. And it did help that horse in that session. And it gave me renewed perspective on what some of these cowboy clinicians, again, these kind of older school Vaquero guys, what the degree of intense responsibility they have in a clinic um, to keep people safe, to keep the horses safe, to do the right things for the horses and for the people, and to at any moment be able to step into that mode of the perfect blend between grit and refinement. It's, it's very impressive, and it's, yet it's something that uh, nowadays particularly is not perhaps understood. In fact, it's probably misunderstood. And some cowboy clinicians in this category, they can be reviled as not being um, sensitive enough, particularly verbally, you know, uh, maybe they don't have as much of the touchy-feely way of describing things, or they're very taciturn. You know, they come from a, a different tradition of how you express yourself. But if you pay attention, if you really understand the full context, you probably will learn even more than I did from watching these teachers. They are a class in and of themselves. And, um, and they are getting older now. And they won't be with us forever. I mean, some of them might, you know, uh, I think Ray taught till he was 80. Um, he only had one lung at the time. So that's pretty impressive. But I would just put aside like your automatic responses. Like, again, the background that I came from, if someone had said, hey, this clinician, you know, bumped a horse on the nose, I would be like, oh, that's awful. But 
as I came to learn more, and of course, being in that moment, watching that teacher was very profound as well. I came to understand, as I said, this larger context, this larger perspective. And I'm so grateful for those cowboys that are out there still teaching this. And it's not an easy lifestyle. It's, uh, as again, they're often misunderstood and reviled, but it's also physically very demanding, not to mention the degree of mental concentration it takes. And, uh, and I think about myself, you know, when I first started going to clinics like that, I was one of probably a bazillion super nice ladies who was just starting to learn something in those clinics. And, um, and how much patience it takes to, you know, expose people over time to this kind of horsemanship, to be patient, to understand in your mind how much you're doing to keep them safe, even if, if the people don't understand it. So I've really come to admire those clinicians at, a, at another level. And, um, you know, and I would urge people who maybe feel like, oh, again, they're not, uh, they're not as sensitive or, you know, I don't like how they, how direct they are, or I want to have a gentler, you know, verbal exchange or whatever. It's like, hey, you know, at the end of the day, I would say, hey, cut them some slack if you can. Um, I've never had a teacher in that category uh, be anything but respectful and clear. They've been clear, you know, which I think is important, but I have never felt any sense of intentional disrespect. And I also think that the work demands that they be clear first. Clarity is what really helps the horses and the people so much more than maybe putting things in just the perfect, kindest and gentlest way, you know, for the, for the sound bite that everybody loves. So I hope you've, uh, I hope you've been at least somewhat, uh, entertained by my story of bumping horses and that you take it in the spirit with which it's attended. I think too, the point that I'm trying to make is that, uh, I never would have thought I was the kind of person who would do that, who would be able to bump a horse at just the right time to prevent something aggressive from happening. And, uh, and so that clinician long ago, he's still keeping me safe, you know, after all those years. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day. If you'd like more information on Horsewise and the services I offer, please visit my website at horsewisecoach.com.